The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then he told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? For what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Jesus said, the last will be first and the first will be last. You may be seated. Let me begin by running by you a couple of ideas. How about this idea for a marriage? Husband and wife get married like most people who get married. They thought that it was going to be great. They had visions and plans in their head. But not long after they tied the knot, they discovered that this person that they had married does not match up at all with the idea that they had in their head. What now? It's too late. I've already been married. How do I get set free? How does that sound for a marriage? Sound like a good idea? Or how about this idea for a livelihood? A young person goes and gets trained for a good job. This job requires skill and know-how, and that person gets that skill and know-how so that they are gainfully employed with full benefits. And this goes on for 20 or 30 years. But then that job is no longer necessary. Technology or maybe globalization has meant that the job is going to be done somewhere far away for much less money. So the person is permanently laid off. And now that young person is no longer all that young. And well-paying jobs are not very available. It's only those jobs that nobody wants to do that are available. How's that for a career? Sound good? Well, if these don't sound like very good ideas to you, then maybe you can hear Jesus' words a little differently when he describes how he's going to be king in our Gospel reading. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to go where all of Jesus' worst enemies live. He's going to go to Jerusalem. And all the big shots in Jerusalem 
were convinced that Jesus was a heretic. Whatever signs and miracles he did, he did them only because of the power of Satan. They were going to look for, they've been looking for an opportunity to get their hands on Jesus, and it seemed that Jesus was just going to let them have him. He'd fall right into their hands, and they would arrest him, and they would put him on trial with false witnesses in a kangaroo court. It wouldn't even be a fair fight. They'd blindfold him and punch him and spit on him, and then they would kill him, and on the third day he would rise again. These are Jesus' ideas for how to be king. Peter can perhaps be excused for saying, Oh, Jesus, let it not be so with you. May this never happen. This is no way for the Christ to be king. How should Christ be king? More in line with what Peter or we might think. Well, there's probably lots of things that can be done, but the main thing is to get bigger. More members means more money, more resources. To get bigger, you need to let people know how great of a king Jesus is. So maybe take out some newspaper ads, but that's kind of old-fashioned. Maybe some TikTok videos, Instagram, Jesus kicking it with the kids in skinny jeans. Seriously, though, we need to get bigger. We need to get stronger. It's only by getting stronger that we'll be strong enough to kick out those Romans, and we need to get the Romans out before we can get Jesus installed as king. But what Jesus does is almost the opposite of all of this. The movement doesn't grow, it shrinks. And he doesn't get stronger, he gets weaker. He gets so weak that he is stumbling about, he gets so weak that he can't even carry his own cross. Simon of Cyrene needs to carry it the rest of the way. And the people at the cross are understandably baffled by Jesus. Wait, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and there you are nailed to the cross? How does God allow something like that? Come down from the cross, and then we'll believe you. Otherwise, it doesn't seem that you are matching up with what you say that you are. And when Jesus finally died, everybody knew that the, that the whole movement was over and done with. They had thought, they had hoped, but nope. The corpse, green and blue and stiff, was right there for everybody to see. And how can a corpse be king? Nobody, it didn't even enter into people's thoughts. What, are you going to prop a corpse up onto the throne? No, obviously the disciples were wrong. Probably the biggest mistake they'd ever made in their life. They had thought that Jesus was the Christ, but obviously not. He's not king. All that's left to do is bury the corpse, move back to Galilee, try to get on with life. And realize that if Jesus wouldn't have risen from the dead, everything that I've been saying to you would have been the sensible way to react. Peter, in fact, would have been proven right when he said, Oh, no, Jesus, not that. You can't do it like that. 
But that's not what happened. Jesus didn't stay dead. And that changes everything. Instead of what seems sensible being vindicated, Jesus and his words are vindicated. He did it right. The thoughts of man, plausible as they might seem, are vain and futile. God's thoughts prevail. And what are these thoughts of man that are now vain and futile? We've already spoken about them today. It would be the way that we think we need to succeed. For Jesus to be an effective king, he has to be grand and glorious, and the bigger the movement, the more power he has. This thinking is vain and false. It's proven by what actually happened. At the moment of Jesus' triumph at the cross and his resurrection, the movement dwindled down all the way to exactly zero. Nobody believed in him. But Jesus didn't need numbers or power or, or popularity. If God is going to act, that's good enough. Or take the examples with which I began. We are such idealistic creatures. We get an idea in our head of how things are supposed to be. A marriage is supposed to look like this, and a career is supposed to look like this, and a male body is supposed to look like this, and a female body is supposed to look like this, and a house is supposed to look like this, and home furnishings are supposed to look like this, and a good personality is supposed to be like this, because all the popular and successful people look like this. These are all just ideas. And nobody measures up to all of them. Nobody does. Maybe you don't measure up to many of them. Maybe you don't measure up to any of them. And you know what we call people who can't measure up to any of those things, we call those people losers. That might seem like the worst there is, but you know what? Let's not be too hasty. Do you know who the first person was to whom Jesus appeared after he rose from the dead? The very first person to whom Jesus came was Mary Magdalene. And we know a few things about this woman. She used to be a prostitute. That means that she had sex with strangers for money. She was inhabited by seven demons which Jesus cast out. And one demon is quite sufficient to wreak havoc on a psyche. She had seven so let's not romanticize Mary Magdalene. She must have been a very, very troubled person. A loser, you might say. And she has the honor of being the first to whom Jesus came. Why? Because she deserved it in some way? No. Because Jesus loved her. He wanted to. He wanted to comfort her in her afflictions. 
Note to whom Jesus did not first appear. He did not appear to those who saw themselves as being righteous or as being wise in their own eyes or as being powerful or having the world by the tail. Jesus didn't appear to those people at all. And consider what people would have thought about Jesus, too. They thought he was a loser. Maybe he was something in the past with his signs and miracles, but surely he is nothing now. As he hung there, naked, on the cross, bruised and bloody, he saved others. He cannot save himself. That's what people were saying about him. He claimed to be the Son of God. Well, maybe God doesn't like it when people claim to be his son because look what God's doing to him there on that cross. Looks like God's punishing him. Jesus looked like scum. He looked like a criminal. Respectable people do not end up on crosses. A loser. But then we have all these sayings from the scriptures, like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That is a saying that means nothing other than the loser will be the winner and the winner will be the loser. Or here's a related saying, God rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. Or again, a saying that's in our reading today, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life on account of me will find it. Jesus teaches some strange things, and these strange things, the truthfulness of them, hinge on whether Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, then all those old rules go out the window. If he did not rise from the dead, then, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we Christians of all people are to be pitied. Our faith is vain. We're living a lie. We would, in fact, be vastly better off if we would just forget everything that Jesus ever said and instead ruthlessly make our own dreams come true. Maybe if we try hard enough and never give up, then somebody will remember us. But if Jesus has risen from the dead, and he has, then all the world's wisdom is foolishness. The most perfect life the life that ticks all the boxes is an empty and lost life, estranged from the Creator. On the other hand, the opposite of all this, the, uh, the, the being humbled, the being humiliated, that's actually not the worst thing. What does it mean to be humbled but to realize that you are not as great as you thought you were? And isn't that just the truth? You're a fallible creature. The stuff that you should do, you haven't done. And the stuff that you shouldn't do, that's the stuff, the very stuff that you have ended up doing. This is the truth that is hard to see and even harder to accept. On the other hand, it is easy to dream about what you'd like to be. It is the easiest thing in the world. What kind of marriage would you like? Oh, well, the best. 
And what kind of job would you like? Oh, well, the best. And what kind of house would you like? Oh, well, the best. It's not even interesting. The answer is all the same. In contrast to this fakery, I can say that God has loved you, the real you, not the fake ideal you, the real you with how you really are, with all your defects, all your unchecked boxes. Chasing dreams is supposed to make you happy, and I'm not so sure. There's another way to be. Be like Mary Magdalene, that very troubled person. She was so glad when she saw Jesus, and you know why? Because she knew that Jesus loved her, and Jesus did love her, and Jesus loves you too. Please stand. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. Maybe seated.